Last week we have, if you remember those, the, the concentric circles, you had the foundational purpose of Christ, right? The foundational purpose of Christ uh, or God's foundational purpose is what? What's God's foundational purpose for us? Image of Christ, right. That is God's foundational purpose. And so what we were learning and walking through is we tend to want to find our foundational purpose out in the areas that are supposed to be outworkings, right? The activities, the roles, the opportunities, right? Um, but as we learn, the more that we try to take our identity in those things, it's like the leaning tower of Pisa that needed a foundational rebuild in order to sustain. And so what we learn is saying, <clears throat> if we're going to pursue Christ's purpose, we have to know that God's number one purpose is to become like Jesus. Then, as we're going to talk about today, then we can begin to discern how do we make sense of the outworking of God's purpose. So what kind of things do I discern and learn how to do practically as an outworking of this gospel. And that's what we want to get at today. In other words, how now do I pursue Christ's purpose in a way where the world sees what I'm called to do, how God has wired me, how he's gifted me? How do I begin to do that? And so we're going we're gonna to walk through that today. Let's go ahead and... Um, so we're going to look at the how of pursuing Christ's purpose today. Let's go ahead and read the word. We're going to be in Proverbs 2, uh, 1 through 9. 1, 2, 3. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, every good path. Amen, amen. So our spiritual tattoo is the way of wisdom is the path to live out Christ's purpose. The way of wisdom is the path to live out Christ's purpose. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you give us the grace to surrender and to submit and to know that you alone are king. And so, Father, I just pray that you would throw some of your, your weight around, glimpses of your glory in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me to make your word plain. I pray that we would receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Still us. Quiet us. So much clutter all around us. So much clutter comes at us 24-7 to try to keep us from hearing your word from understanding your word, from applying your word, from being in proximity to your people. So the facts that we gather here is a grace of God that we made it through the clutter coming at us all the time to hear your word. Forgive us for minimizing this. Forgive us for trivializing the need for your people to be shaped by your word. The word says that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from your mouth. And Lord, I pray today you would remind us, prompt repentance where we need it, Lord, where we are at places where we have said, I get that, but I don't want to live that right now. And Lord, so prepare us, ready us, that we might be a discerning people to engage what you're passionate about. So Lord, when we are when we are before you, the things we built, though sometimes they're good according to worldly wisdom, sometimes can result in hay, wood, and stubble and be burned in the fire. Teach us how to build upon a foundation that results in silver, gold, purifying elements that endure through the fire to be placed at your feet for your glory and our joy. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> I want to look at a few stories. These are kind of made-up stories for us to consider people's process in how we look at stuff, right? So, Jay loves Jesus and really wants to do what he wants her to do, but she has a hard time committing to something because it might not be God's perfect will for her. Before she even thinks about making a decision, she gets really anxious about missing the right decision. 
since she wants to please Christ, she doesn't want to do anything other than his will for her. In fact, if, he doesn't work out the way, if, if it doesn't work out the way she hopes or desires, then she would feel ashamed and exposed as a failure, and somehow it will mess up the universe and send her life into a tailspin just because she missed that one thing she perceived had to be the will of God. Can anybody identify with Jay? All right. What about this one? Jason also loves Christ and really wants to do what God has for him to do. However, Jason is known by many as unstable because he bounces from one area to another with great frequency. Many would experience him as scattered. As you talk with Jason, you begin to hear that he has a hard time committing because with so many options, he is fearful that he might make the wrong decision and miss God's perfect will for his life. Can anybody relate to Jason? Some, not as many. All right, so we see Jay's a little more. Um, here's a third one, third and final one. Samantha loves Jesus and has an ideal picture of what life would be in Christ. In her assessment, God has called her to pursue nursing. Since this is her understanding of God's will, she puts her whole effort, time, energy into pursuing this career. People around begin to wonder about some of the decisions she has begun to make. They no longer see her around, engaging in community, serving her family and her community, nor reading the scriptures. In fact, when, when uh, Samantha comes around, she is more aloof than normal, has a hard time engaging in gospel conversation, and, and worship has become detached. If you ask her, she firmly believes that God's will for her is to become a nurse, and becoming a nurse is the purpose of her life. So much to the point, pursuing purpose for her is what? Becoming a nurse. What happened to the other aspects of pursuing Christ's purpose? They're not there. Isn't that interesting? How many of y'all can relate to Samantha? Right? So these are all, it's interesting, all of these, they have different situations, right? Each of these are asking the question, in other words, that simply says, what's God's will for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? What, what would it be like to walk in God's purpose for my life? You see, this is what we're really asking when we think about the outwork of God's purpose. When we say, God, what's your purpose for me? What we're really saying is what? God, what's your will for my life? How many of y'all ask that question and are asking that question right now? God, I don't know your will for my life. And we wrestle with these three different scenarios of God's will. What, what is God's will? And so here's the thing. How you understand God's will will influence how you pursue Christ's purpose. Did you catch that? Don't skip past that. How you understand God's will will influence how you pursue Christ's purpose. Did you see? How they understood God's will is shaping how they were going about pursuing Christ's purpose. And if you look at some of that, you're thinking, man, some of those approaches by these three individuals were not healthy. There were aspects that were noble, that looked good, that looked spiritual, but they weren't healthy, right? Because how they interpreted God's will shaped how they pursued Christ's purpose. And so we got to look and say, so what is this? You can ask this single question and approach it so many different ways. Why? Because... How we begin to get to why we get so confused about pursuing the outwork of Christ's foundational purpose is we have to understand that this thing is multi-layered. Okay, God's will is not a single thing that says, okay, God's will. Here's the thing about this. We say God's will, but we might mean an understanding in multiple ways. Does that make sense? And how you understand it will shape how you make decisions. So here's the thing about this. In order for us to begin to understand how can I begin to pursue Christ's purpose, the first thing that we need to do is we need to understand the scope of God's purpose. Did you catch that? We have to understand the scope of God's purpose. In other words, what we could say is how do we understand Christ's purpose? How do we understand is significant? And so whenever you have a loaded question You've got to begin to break it down and say, what are you really looking for? What are you really asking here? So check this out. I'm going to go through three 
ideas and concepts of God's will. The first one, uh, as we break down understanding the scope of God's purpose, is God's sovereign will. Has anybody heard of God's sovereign will or God's will of decree, right? This fancy term that basically says God is the cosmic big boss who works everything out to his purpose. Is that a simple enough definition? He is going to work. There are things that we don't see that God is working out. Does that mean like, we can't see all that God is doing to sustain us and to keep us? We can't see how God is going to use all the nooks and crannies that you wonder why they're there. We can't see and understand how the heck are you going to use that? So there are, the, it is the will of decree or God's sovereign will that is the first foundational element of the clarity of God's will. Look what scripture says. Proverbs 69 says it this way, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. Okay? God is setting up his purpose. Matthew 10.29 says this, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So we see that from the get-go, one of the key elements of the layers of understanding God's will is we got to understand that God has a sovereign will. He has a will of decree. In fact, this is probably the will that we struggle with the most. Because while God is sovereign, here's the question that we often ask, right? If God is all sovereign, all good and powerful, what's the next part that we say? What would y'all say? Why do bad things happen? Why does suffering happen? What's the purpose of this? So, in fact, if we just stopped at the sovereign will of God, outside of how God is executing his sovereign will, as we will see, to redeem a broken, fallen world, we would see that God's sovereign will is actually a good thing, because without his sovereign will, evil might win the day. Injustice might sustain to the end. Unrighteousness may be okay, and it might be just justified. Why? Because if God is not sovereign and we're in a broken world, then there's no hope. But since God is sovereign, and since there's an aspect, as we will see, of the dignity of humanity and the reality of man's call to make decisions... God sees a broken world that's in rebellion, and his sovereign will says, even in the midst of the most broken of how deep and dark things can get in the world and in your lives, I am still going to be at work to make it right. Do you see the good news of God's sovereignty? God is a gracious king who says, but I'm waiting. This is a whole different sermon. I'm trying not to go here, but... When we go through difficult times, where is God in that? Why didn't he fully watch over me? Well, Peter would say God is patient, wanted everyone to come to repentance. So if God executed his full just, justice and wrath at that moment, then that person, either that was going through it or that was the perpetrator, may never see grace and mercy and salvation. If God, right, is God is patient. But here's another thing about this. Where is God? He's saying, I'm grieving on the cross and lamenting that you have to go through that. That was not my intent. I'm still sovereign, but the dignity and the, the freedom he gave humanity, that's the reality of how bad things can get. And God is, where is it when stuff is, is when I'm suffering and I'm in pain? Well, I was on the cross for you. Fulfilling every lament that you could ever fulfill, I was on the cross. Do you see that God's sovereignty is not just a distant, aloof dictator? He is, is, inter, is uh, uh, intertwined and working out his plan when brokenness seems like it might get the final say. And God says, nope, let me remind you, the will of decree says I'm going to work my purpose out. That's one. And so, so the implication for God's sovereign will is to trust Right? Just trust. Trust that he is going to work it out. The second one is his, is his moral will, or this is the will of desire. Look what Psalm 32, 8 says. This is very important to understand as we think about decision making. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. 
Here's the thing. This, the context of this is David teaching about covenantal obedience. This is David. Psalm 32 is David's reflection after he realized he was forgiven, right? His confession in, in Psalm 51, he confesses, and then he realizes that God forgave him, and now he's saying, I'm going to teach covenantal fidelity. I'm going to teach people how to walk in God's moral will so they experience the goodness of God. They experience the righteousness of God. So he's teaching a general sense. Now Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Y'all heard this, but this is interesting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. <clears throat> in all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Okay? Interesting thing about this. The, the context of this is in the Lord's instructions of his commands. This is a call to trust God in working out his moral will. To walk in obedience to him. Okay? <clears throat> now here's the third one. Or let, let, me, let me summarize. The best verse that gets at God's sovereign will or his will of decree, and his moral will, or his will of desire, is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Look what he says. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. Did you catch that? There are hidden things that God does not reveal to us about a sovereign will. He doesn't. And sometimes we, if, if, if we struggle with control, we don't like that, do we? I honestly don't. I'm like, God, just like, like, give me a hint of this thing that I don't understand. Like, just show me something, right? And, and God reserves the right because he knows what's best for us to, to not reveal certain things when he sees best. I can't fully explain it. Can you? But that's God's sovereignty. We know his character is pure and holy and righteous and true. And he, he, he knows the number of hairs on our heads. And he does all these things. And he, he knows these things, right? But, and so what we need to look at is saying, well, then, then, Lord, I'm learning to trust you when it doesn't make sense. But then he also, but then, but then uh, Moses also says, he says like this, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. Did you catch that? God's sovereign will, I'm going to work it out. God's moral will to know that you might walk in my ways. Okay? That's the foundation of this. Now, here's an interesting thing. This third one has become something that has formed over the years in the church. Okay? Um, and, and those who have kind of come up with this concept, they call it the directive will or the will of direction. Has anybody heard of that before? This is the one that says like this. Um, what many would call God's individual and personal predestined purpose for each person. Okay, in other words... If we look at passages like Acts 16, 6 through 10, Acts 18, 10, 8, goes, the list goes on. There are certain times when God will give a specific directive and guidance to his people, okay? Peter, he shows up to Peter and says, Peter, you're going to go to Cornelius. He, he knocks Saul off of his horse, okay? And he says, this is what you're going to do, Okay? Um, he, uh, uh, then it goes into chapter 13 where uh, the Holy Spirit says, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work I'm calling them to, okay, and mission, right? Then uh, another one, uh, Acts 16 gets at, um, uh, uh, why am I blanking on Acts 16 right now? Oh my gosh, hold on, yeah. I know someone remembers Acts 16 right now. Oh, it's when, yeah, this, is the, this is the Macedonian call, right? I'm tripping. Um, but when, when Paul is trying to go up to, to Bithynia and the Spirit kept them from doing that, right? And as the Spirit keeps them from doing that, uh, he says, okay. And then he goes and he has a dream with someone in Macedonia. And that was his interpretation to say, I got to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel, okay? So there are specific times when God will give specific directives for an individual that may pertain to something specific about his will for them in their life. But here's the thing. Most of those times have to do with alignment with aspects of evangelism and aspects of ministry advancement. That's not the norm. In fact, 
since it has to do with ministry initiatives, this does not teach that God has one specific will that you need to find for your life. Did you catch that? God did, this, and that's what this, that's what this uh, directive will says, is saying that you have to find that one will that God has. And you need to seek it by whatever means you can just to find that one will. And if you don't find that one will that God has, well, then you're in sin. How many of y'all struggle with that? Y'all heard that before? Yeah, that's real, right? There's this one will. These verses don't teach that. But these things still happen today. God guides through a variety of means today. He guides through dreams and he guides through all this stuff. But that's not the normative way that the scriptures teach us to learn how to pursue Christ's purpose. So in other words, pursuing Christ's purpose is not navel-gazing to try to find that one will that God has in your life. Because scripture never teaches that. Did y'all catch that? Scripture does not teach this notion. In fact, it, and in fact, the passages that discuss God's will, like, look at Ephesians 2.10, that he, uh, when you look at Ephesians 2.10, he, he has works that he's created for you beforehand. Here's the interesting thing about this. The works that he's called you to and created for you to walk in, he lays them out in chapter 3 through 6. He's, he's calling, so here's another one. I want to read one more real quick. Go to Colossians 1. If you've got Colossians 1, Colossians 1, uh, 9 through 12, this is an interesting one. Look at, and, and there's many more on this. Um, so as I'm turning there, you've got Romans 12, 1 through 2. Colossians 1, we'll go 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, the will of God is your sanctification. It's a moral will. 1 uh, uh, Corinthians 2, 16, right? We'll get in that, the mind of Christ. Here's the thing about this. Look at Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Look at this. And I want you to think about how you normally interpret this. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Did you catch that? We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How do you interpret that? How do you pray that? How do you think about, we pray that you would be filled with the wisdom of God's will. Is that in your mind, do you imagine that Paul's prayer is that God will help you find that one specific will that he has predestined for you to walk in? Right? Think honestly about that. Like, is that, because here's the thing. Verse 10 gives us the response of how he's, why he's praying this and what this means. It's so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in what? Every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You see that? That you would bear fruit in every good work. In other words, this passage and these passages that have a clear call to say, I pray that you would know his will. The context of praying to know God's will is that they would learn to understand how to walk in God's ways. Okay, that's important. These cannot be interpreted from an individualistic, God has one directive will for my life. Scripture doesn't teach that. But the verses we use, he still does today. But it's not to teach that doctrine that I have to find that one purpose. Okay? That paralyzes us, and it actually dumbs down as we will see the sovereignty of God. Okay, because it's up to me to try to navel gaze and find this thing. And that's not what Scripture is teaching us. Let me give you an example of this. So there's an illustration. There's this thing called, in this book, Decision Making in the Will of God. There's a story called the First Supper. Okay, and in the story of the First Supper, it's really interesting because yeah, they kind of give this imagination of, filling in between the lines of what happened with Adam and Eve when God first created them. So they go in and Adam and Eve, they, they go up and, and they're created and they're in this like post-creative phase. They're like, wow, this is great, right? Like 
boom, boom, boom. And so Adam and Eve come up, and they're like, man, we're about to make our first thing. Do we call it supper? Do we call it dinner? What do we call this thing, our first meal, right? Like, how do we do this? And so they're, they're taking, they're thinking, you know, okay, let's, 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 call it, let's call it supper. And so they're like, all right, let's call it supper. I guess they're from the south or something. Uh, I don't know. We call it supper because my dad's from the south. But, but right, so let's, let's call it supper, right? So let's see, let's, let's do supper. And so as they're developing this, um, what happens is, Eve is saying, Adam, I really want to be in God's will in this, first, in this first meal together. I really want to please him and honor him and be in his will. And so um, can you, I don't know what, 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 what we should do. And so what they do is, they're, they're, okay, well, let's go get it. So they decide to say, Adam, Adam's going to go get the berries, all the berries, right? And then Eve is going to, when he brings them, Eve's going uh, to prepare the berries. So Adam goes, he grabs all the berries in the garden. Remember, every tree, you can grab all, these, all this fruit and, and berries and stuff. So he grabs them, brings them back, and Eve begins to prepare it. And Adam is over washing his feet and trying to rest from all the running around and stuff. And she's preparing the food, and he hears, he hears her saying, Adam, Adam. And so he runs up to Eve. He says, what's going on? He says, well, he goes back to, he, she says, hey, well, you know what? Um, I really... I really want to do this right, and I don't know what, what fruit we should, we, we should eat first. Go ask God what fruit we should eat, because I really want to be in God's will. I really want God to do it. And so Adam says, okay, so Adam goes to God, and he asks, and he comes back to Eve, and he says, God didn't answer your question. <laughs> so what do you mean he didn't answer my question? All he told me was, you are free to eat everything in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she says, okay. And she's like, I just don't understand. I really want to be in God's will. What one should I choose uh, to be in God's will? And says, you know what? Those apples look good. Let's cook some apples. So she's like, okay, cool. So she goes and cooks some apples, right? And then Adam goes off, and what he's doing, he's off in a distance thinking about naming the animals, and he's contemplating that. And as he's contemplating naming the animals, right, because you all know God gave Adam the authority to name the animals. So he's thinking about, how do I name the animals? So as he's naming the animals, he hears, Adam, Adam. So he runs back. He says, I just, I just don't know how to prepare these apples. Do I slice them? Do I bake them? Do I souffle them? Like, I don't know. How do I cook these apples? And she's like, can you just go tell God, ask God? And so he goes and asks God, and, and he comes back. He says, God gave me the same answer. You're free to eat every tree from, the, from, from this garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are you tracking with me? So as, as he goes back, he says, that's all. And she says, I, I just don't get it. He says, you know what, Eve, I wonder if... When God had me name the animals, he didn't give me the names. He just told me to name the animals. And as we're walking in his garden, in his ways, in his moral law, he gave me the freedom to name the animals. So I wonder if now we can just freely choose whatever fruit, as long as we're not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she says, oh, well, in that case... Let's eat, let's eat more berries. And then they come to the point in the story and they say, you know what? Let's eat some fruit salad for dinner. <laughs> do, you get, do you get what's going on there, though? Like, look at this. Look at this next, this next illustration here. Oftentimes what we do is we're like, like, and this is not a knock on Eve, but I think it's an application about looking and saying, we are looking and saying, I really want to be in your will. Hey, you have that one individual will, and this is what we look at. We say, I have to find that. If God did not teach to say, you have to listen to my voice for every single decision of life, then he's not going to answer some specific questions that you have because he's like, you're not understanding what I'm teaching you to steward and how to steward stuff. Okay? Rather, here's what he says. He says, uh, rather, you need to look at the moral will and saying you have area of freedom and responsibility in the moral will of God. How do you feel about that? Is that scary? Is it intimidating? I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this is so interesting about how God created humanity. See, he didn't create humanity to be his cosmic, his, his puppets that he went like this. He said, I'm as long as you walk in my ways, you will experience this. 
You have freedom to rule, to subdue, to have dominion. Does this make sense? You have freedom to do that as long as you walk in my ways. And so what we see is that we have to begin to say, this right here is never taught in Scripture. That's what we see. If we're going to pursue Christ's purpose, we have to understand that picture. We have to understand that that's what God calls us to. This is a part of decision-making in pursuing Christ's purpose. And so here's another, here's another thing. The way that this could work in, um, in, uh, in the, go, go to the next one real quick, Andrew. The way this works towards, we want to move towards that right side, towards the way of wisdom. Here's how you interact with that. Uh, Gary Friesen talks about this in his book. He says, look, where God commands, we must obey. Where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. doesn't matter what fruit you take. As long as it's not from the fruit, the, the garden, the, good, uh, the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as long as it's not that fruit, you have freedom. Okay? God gives us wisdom. And then where there is no command, God gives us wisdom to choose. Okay? When we have chosen what is moral and wise, we must trust the sovereign God to work all the details together for good. See, that, that's, does that make sense? That's a very, that's a very important point on this. And I, I want to read this. This is, this is uh, bear with me on this. I, I got to lay a foundation this for this, y'all. Um, there's an aspect, w- watch this. Watch what uh, Edmund Clowney on his book called The Ministry says. And he's talking about discernment. He says, sometimes Christians speak of each decision of their lives as though they were launching a moonshot where a single miscalculation would send the capsule into a trackless void. Y'all ever felt that before? Like, if I miss that one thing, my whole, like, I'm all completely out of God's will. I'm going to screw up God's will for my life. Y'all ever felt that before? Okay. Watch this. He says, he says, even space scientists do better than that. Correcting the flight of their space probes by radio signals. God does much better. He knows that we are often incapable of distinguishing trivial decisions from momentous ones. And that we are foolish and imperceptive. He knows and keeps us in his hand. Isn't that a good sovereign king? Watch this. He says, there, may be tr- uh, there, there we may trust. Even when we don't understand, we cannot look for certainty in every decision. See, sometimes going after that one will is like, I can't trust that you're going to work it together. So I have to get it right the first time. See, it's not trusting. That's not trusting God. Right? If, if we always knew, if we always had a strong assurance that a given action was the only right course, we would not learn to trust God in the midst of suffering and darkness. Because when does it feel like God's goodwill when you're going through suffering? When does it feel like this is God's will? I'm so excited. I'm glad I chose this thing. I'm glad I learned this thing, right? It doesn't feel like that, and we have to, we're learning to trust God's sovereignty in working this out. Watch this. He says, to demand complete certainty is to run grave risks. We may make our own emotional states or convictions a private urim and thummim, which is another way they did that, and they consult in the Old Testament, and they get an answer from God, right? It was like an immediate access from what they, but it still got abused. That's a whole different message. But we would, we would, we would, uh, yeah, we would use a urim and thummim in c- concluding that an action cannot be God's will because we do not feel right about it, or plunging into some enterprise because we have interpreted our own strong impulse as the Lord's leading. Y'all been there before? This morning, I was wrestling and yelling in my office. There are things I'm like, I don't want to do this, God. There are times you just don't want to do certain things, right? Because you can't see certain elements and ingredients. And God is saying, he's saying, so, so the thing is, we, but we can't, we can't um, ignore that, but we can't sit in that unlamented, ungrieved, unconfessed, unyelled and wrestled and surrendered. We can't leave it there because then it will, let, uh, it will fester and it will cause us to do something that we shouldn't be doing. And then we hide under super spiritual language because we know religious language about that's God's will. Really? 
Or is that your own Urim and Thummim because you wanted to do this? All right, then he says, we must remember that the Holy Spirit uh, sanctifies us uh, along this process. So he, so he gets that and he's saying, you know, basically the thing is like, unless we begin to trust God's sovereign will and obey his moral will, that trust and obey. Y'all remember the old song? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus, okay? This is theology between what you might have heard growing up or around you, right? You trust his sovereign will that's working it out. You obey his moral will. And then here's the thing about this is that then we have to stretch our muscle on learning how to, make a, how to walk in the way of wisdom to navigate that area of freedom. That makes sense? Because that's the thing is that's the picture. God calls us to that. So in other words, he's not so much concerned with whether you're a firefighter, professor, educator, lawyer, worker for, uh, working for the city, a working mom, stay-at-home mom, but rather are you walking in the light of the gospel obedience where you are? Are you walking to reflect Christ's character where you are? Right? God is not always like, you got to do this, you got to do this. Where you are, unless it's in sin, Unless it's a job that makes you walk outside of God's moral, moral law, his moral will, he has you there. This is why Paul could say, in whatever situation you are, remain there. Why? Because God can work in that situation, and his will is to make you more like Jesus, not just try to get you in some kind of activity if it's not what God is doing. Is this making sense? So wherever you find yourself, walk in gospel obedience. Sometimes people say, well, I'm in this marriage situation, but I don't, I, I, I th I don't think it's God's will for me to be married to that person. Yes, it is. The minute you made that vow, you made a commitment. Don't tell me it ain't God's will for you to be married unless you have legitimate divorce-based issues, immorality, abandonment, right? We, we justify spiritual junk and say, that's not God's, my, God's will for me. Why? Because we think this, this like, that's, well, I, I stepped out of line over here, and, and, and I, I didn't follow God over here, so I need to, like, I, I disobeyed him, or I didn't listen to what I should have. Yeah, but the minute that you married that person, if they're willing to stay with you, Paul says, look, and there's issues, domestic violence, those things are mentioned, right? We're sensitive to that. But what the point is, is saying we then justify and say, well, well wait, I miss God's will, and the universe is unraveling, and I just need to divorce this because that's God's will, because then I'll be in this will, and we get so confused. Do you understand? Like, like, it's so messy in what's going on. And so, so I think that's what, 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 what he's trying to get at is, is saying, guys, live out the gospel where you are. <laughs> Reflect Christ's character where you are. And he says, so how do we begin to understand how to live out God's purpose for us? How do we begin to pursue the areas of the freedom and responsibility that we've seen? So now that we know this is God's, we got to understand God's will and understand the scope of it. Now we need to engage the way of wisdom. This is how do we discern Christ's purpose, right? Because we don't just willy-nilly go up into those areas of freedom and responsibility. God has given us specific things to be cultivating to begin to discern how we walk and where we walk and what we do. So he's given us some things. This is what he gives. This is where we go into Proverbs real quick. This is more of an overview type stuff, right, for today. But Proverbs lays out in chapter 2 what we need to look at. In uh, chapter 1, verse 20, you see wisdom is at the street, in the street and in the public gates crying out for people to listen that we might understand. The wisdom there is, is walking in covenantal faithfulness, walking in God's moral law, learning that nothing good happens indefinitely when you're walking outside the fear of the Lord. When, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you don't walk and you don't heed wisdom, nothing good happens. Okay, this is what wisdom is saying. And here's the thing about this. Look at chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. He says, 
Um, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. Did you, did you catch that? He stores up success for who? The upright. Okay. He is a shield with those who live with integrity so that you may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, every good path. In other words, if we can summarize that, wisdom is when you are, he's saying, when you are open to the way of wisdom, your life will be conformed to the moral desires of God for your life. When you're open to the way of wisdom, okay, the way of wisdom, your life will be conformed to the moral desires of God for your life. Here's the problem with this. We have so much spiritual earwax in our ears that we can't hear the way of wisdom, right? Does that make sense? We can't hear the way of wisdom. So Paul reflects upon this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he says, look, you can see him imagining through the Proverbs, the way of wisdom is what produces righteousness. If someone listens to the way of wisdom, then they will live a life of morality that conforms to godliness. So he's thinking, man, none of us have been able to do this. <laughs> we can't hear from God. We can't hear wisdom. We're making horrible decisions. So what do we need to do? He says, oh, oh, bet this is what Jesus did. Look, he says, look, look. Jesus is the wisdom of God. You can, you can imagine him thinking and saying, hey, Jesus is the wisdom of God, which is our righteousness. One of the aspects he says, he says, oh, hold on. If Jesus is the wisdom of God, then that wisdom in Christ makes us righteous. So when we couldn't hear wisdom, Jesus came in the embodiment, the fulfillment of wisdom in Proverbs 2. Since he is not only wisdom, God is calling in wisdom, Jesus steps as the embodiment of wisdom to fulfill what we couldn't because he fully obeyed the Father. And then he, as he goes to the death and resurrection, he accomplishes for us what we could not do on our own. So he brings us into a relationship with God. Because he's wisdom, he produces righteousness in us. Uh, the righteousness he gives us conforms us to God's moral what? Will. Then he empowers us by shaping us in his wisdom how to walk in his ways. In other words, what are you saying with that? Simply put, it's dependent upon Christ to bring you into the moral will. Every decision of life was never intended to, made, to be made apart from dependence upon Christ. We're not smart enough to make decisions to pursue that freedom. We don't understand enough. But it's, it's in dependence upon Christ who not only brings you into the moral will, but he conforms you. Remember that passage you went to the last time. He's conforming. God is conforming you into the image of Christ. Okay? And then, then look, at, look at what he says. So not only is, is it, we do we need to be dependent upon Christ, who gives us access to his moral will, but look at, look at verses 4 through 5 in Proverbs 2. If you seek it like silver... And search for it like hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. In other words, then you will understand how to take God seriously. And you will discover the knowledge of God. Look at that. Look at these words in here. If you seek for it, if you search for it, a hidden treasure. Uh, if you, then, and you'll discover as a result the knowledge of God. See, this is what we're really asking. Like, God, I want to discover what your will is for my life. How do I make sense of this? How do I do it? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that this, this process is not, a, it's not a one and done thing. Does that make sense? Like, so, so notice what he's saying is that the, 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 uh, uh, when you're seeking and searching for a treasure, you don't get to jump onto the island and not follow the map. I, I, gotta, I gotta find it now. I gotta find it now. Like, okay, wait, I got this decision. I'm in debt beyond my ears. I got, I've heard about this treasure. I'm gonna jump on the map, I'm, I'm onto the island and just find it. And we're like, wait, like, what? you get the map and you're like, okay, uh, let's go over there. Let's go, right? But what, you, what you're seeing is that you're missing something, right? And so we want it right away, right away. And in our right away ness, what often will happen is that we're frustrated because it's not happening. God, you need to give me an answer right now. I need it right now. I need it right now. And, and, and he's saying, hold up, hold up. When it comes to wisdom, 
It is a pursuit like a treasure. You, you meticulously going after the map and you're learning from the map and you're getting prepared and equipped on the way as you follow the map. Here's the other thing about this that I think is so dope that Paul picks up. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, he says, look, that map, he says, this fullness of treasure, the fullness of treasure of anything that you can know about God is in Christ. Any notion of knowledge and discernment and discretion and understanding about God is found in Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? So not only does Jesus bring you into the moral will of God to begin to walk in freedom again, okay, but then he also calls you to dwell in Christ. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Dwell in Jesus. See, because dwelling in Christ, being in Christ, is not a, uh, it's a lifelong journey, let's put it that way. It's a lifelong journey where you're learning about the mind of Christ you have been given, how to access it, how to make decisions that make sense in this area of freedom. And so it, the, the thing is, is that the way to navigate the way of wisdom is you've got to spend time in Jesus. You've got to be dependent upon Jesus, and you've got to dwell in Jesus. And you're like, well, you haven't really helped me. How do I make practical decisions, and how do I serve? If that foundation is not built... You will be led astray. And what we're going to talk about in the Galatians 5 series, you will use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That kind of stuff will burn up. And it doesn't build up the church or the community. Right? So he says, here's the thing. He says, you've got to learn. You've got to depend on Christ to, to be in the moral will of God. And you've got to dwell in Christ to learn how do I begin to navigate this area of freedom. Now he goes down and he says, here, there's three simple things to this. He says, now when you're in those areas in Christ who is the wisdom of God and in whom all the knowledge of God are, that's the only way to access the fullness of God's understanding that he will reveal is in Christ. He says, now that if you are depending and dwelling, now he says, look at this. Here are three things that you need to exercise in that foundation to begin to make decisions. He says, you got to be, look at, look at uh, verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands. These are not Solomon's making up his commands. He's speaking, Solomon is speaking the commands that David spoke to him that were passed down that were God's commands. So he's saying, he's saying, look, he says, you better be in the book, Solomon. I mean, uh, saying to his son, Solomon's like, you, you better be in the book. Look at, look at, Joshua says it. Look at this. I want, I'm going to go through some of this. Why is it so important to be in the book? Joshua 1.8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it. How often? Day and night. So that you may carefully observe what? Some of it? Everything. In order for you to observe everything, you've got to spend a lot of time in it. <laughs> in order for you to know a map and how to find a treasure, you've got to know that map. And you got to be willing to go follow what the map is teaching you to do if you're going to get to the treasure. Make sense? So he says, uh, for when you are observing everything written in it, then you will prosper and succeed in what? Whatever you do. Did you catch that? That's that freedom language. If you are walking in God's way, you will prosper. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel, get a jet plane and all this. But you will prosper. Notice, your life will be fruitful for the king. And you will reflect God's purpose for that particular area. So he says, and whatever you do, right, be in the book. Be in the book. Here's what he says. If you look at some other verses you can reference, I'm not going to reference now, uh, but Colossians 3, 16 through 17 talks about letting the word of God dwell richly in you, right? 1 Peter 2 talks about growing in the pure milk desiring the pure milk, getting rid of things that are, that are hindering you from feeding on the pure milk of the Word of God. Hebrews 5.14 talks about the concept of, uh, it, it's, it, it points to it's a continual way of life of absorbing the Word of God. He says, look, those that have been trained by the Word of God have discernment in things between good and evil. So when you're, when you're walking in God's way, you won't be able to be, to be trained to discern good versus evil and even good versus gooder, <laughs> if I can just say that. 
God's best versus something good, right? You won't be able to discern that if you're not in the book. Making sense? I'm not just saying this because it's nice. This is what the book says. Like, spend time. That's how, when you don't spend time in the Word, he's saying, look, you guys aren't growing. That's what he says in chapter 6. Y'all should be teachers by now. But because you're resisting in the Word of God and you're staying so busy with stuff, you're still needing milk. But it's those that have been trained by the Word that discern good and evil to make decisions to be able to know how to navigate this free area. Right? In other words, like this. He says, look, and if we make decisions and live a uh, life where it's just going to the word when we need an answer. How many do that? Like, you're like, okay, God, I need an answer. I got a pressing situation. And you, like, you do like Russian Roulette Encyclopedia in the Bible. You just open it. Holy Spirit, oh, help me open to the right, time, right places. Now, God will use that every once in a while. But that's not the normative way. But isn't that how we approach God sometimes? God, I'm, I'm pressed. I, I need something on this situation. And we're reading and we're going. We're like, this says nothing. And we give up and we put the Bible down. <laughs> Y'all been there before? Right? And so, so that's what, what often happens is we, we get to those situations, and it's kind of like this. Um, if we make our habit of discerning, of seeking God's will in the word when we just need an answer, you'll miss the relevancy of Scripture if you only run to it when you need help in specific answers to dire situations. Here, so I, I have a friend who's getting back into running. One day he decided to go on an extra long run, so he figured I might, I might as well stretch really well for this run, even though he never went through that process of stretching. After stretching, he set out only to find out that he started hurting way too early in the run and had to cut it short and go back home. Since he was going on an extra long run, he figured I should probably do something I don't usually do, which is let me stretch. The problem is when it didn't work, he said, I remember him saying, I should have just gone without stretching. Because here's the thing, his body was not used to stretching. So when he says, I got to pull on that stretching goodness that I know is supposed to work because I want to go on an extra long run and I need everything that I can get to the extra long run. He pulls on something he never was participating and as he pulled on it, the stretch actually made it worse for his muscles. And here's the thing, he didn't see the reality was that he wasn't in the rhythm of stretching. He blamed it on the stretching and said, I should have never stretched. See, I think that's oftentimes how we approach the Word of God. God, I need an answer. I got this big decision. I need an answer right now. And we just open the Bible, and that's like the primary time when we spend time in the Word of God is when we need an answer. Then, when God doesn't answer it like that, like he didn't do for Eve, because he already gave them what he was doing, then we get frustrated. We say the Bible's irrelevant. <laughs> the Bible doesn't make any sense. It doesn't answer my questions. The problem, the, the, the problem's not with the Bible, the problem is with the user of the Bible. Right? The problem is, is that we're reading the Bible as if it's gonna give us these individual will all the time when God is saying, no, 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 you need to get your you need to get yourself in the Bible. Get in the book and start dwelling in the mind of Christ so that when those big decisions happen, you're equipped and understand between good and evil to make some decisions. You see, sometimes A and B is not, you're not going to sin if you choose A or B. Choose A or B. Here's the thing that I would say is a concern. If we're not tethering all areas of our life to consistent reading and ingestion of the word of God, then what will happen is that we won't be trained and equipped in the big decisions. God is more concerned about you spending that time to learn how to make the small decisions. He's about be proactive with your development of understanding God's word. Then when you spend time, you actually start accessing the mind of Christ. You start depositing apps in the, in, in the, in the mind of Christ in you to be able to say, oh, that, that smells like a Jesus decision. Right? You start making decisions based on the heart of God as revealed throughout the entirety of scripture. And you start making decisions based on that. Then he goes like this. He says, I need you to have daily reading in the word of God. But then he says, look, look in, in, in verse 2, listen closely to the heart and, and directing your heart to understanding. In other words, he's saying, he says, make sure you're getting wise counsel in community. Make sure you're not making individual decisions as a normal way of your life. 
right? So here, Proverbs 1.5 says, let a person listen and increase learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. 12.15 says, a fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Plans fail when there's no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. 19.20 says, listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise. You hear that? That's important there. And so I think as, as we, we look at this, is God designed us to grow in community, to receive counsel and wisdom in community. Every believer has something to offer to one another. Did you catch that? Every believer has something to offer to one another. This is what Clowney says. I love this. He says, within the church of Christ, the mutual ministry of gifts moves constantly to the pulse beat of the life of the Spirit. The body grows through the organic interdependence of each other. Did you catch that? Interdependence of each other. From the one head, Christ, all the body fitted, framed, and knit together through that which every joint supplieth, according to the working and due measure of each several part, builds itself up in love. And here's the key. That means you cannot grow without ministering to others and receiving the ministry of others. Did you catch that? There is no growth in the way of wisdom without ministering to others and receiving the ministry of others. Ministry, sometimes we hinder, uh, we, we, we hesitate from going and either giving or receiving counsel because we feel like, well, I, I, don't, know, I don't know as much as this person does. Like, I, I'm not as efficient in the Bible, or, man, I'm really struggling with something in my life right now. Like, I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to give counsel, right? Like, that kind of, and, and at that point, it's like we're missing the gospel, right, at that very moment. But, but each of you, everybody in the church, is dependent upon one another when we're pursuing the way of wisdom. There is no growth in the way of, of wisdom outside of a mutual interdependence of counseling one another. Is that, y'all grasp that? That's so important. It's so important. Is the, the mutual counseling of one another. And so sometimes, here's what we say. We say, God, guide me. God, I really need you to guide me. And as you're praying, God, guide me, God, guide me. You're not spending any time in the word. You're throwing out fleeces. <laughs> Y'all ever did that? Throw the fleeces out like Gideon did. You're throwing out fleeces. You're throwing out all the ways that actually Gideon's, just let me give you this, Gideon's throwing out fleeces without a doubt, y'all. Y'all know that? That's not a normative way of seeking God's will. That's actually a doubt-filled way that you're like, God, I'm just uncertain. and I really want to know so I don't mess up. And God's like, hey, what I've made plain, walk in that. Okay? And that's, but in community, it's not through a fleece that you find affirmation. It's through community. That's important, right? It's through community that we find affirmation. So sometimes when we're saying, saying, God, give me guidance, he's like, go to the body. Be a part of the church. Stop doing your own thing. I don't work outside the ways that I've set up. Can he? Absolutely. And does he? Absolutely. He did for Gideon when Gideon doubted. God is gracious to us. But he's given us mechanisms of the word of God, counsel in the community. And then the third one is he's given us prayer, right? He's given us prayer. He says, look, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding. See, we often approach prayer like we do the word of God. We go to God when we need something from him. When he may not do it according to your expectation, then you say, God didn't hear me or my prayer doesn't work. Y'all been there before? We go to God when we need him, and he doesn't answer me the way that I want him to. And so then we're like, God, you just don't care about me, or prayer doesn't work. If you haven't been there, you will be there in your life. You will experience that. Why? Because we have a tendency to view our prayer life to endorse our agenda and our individualistic, I have to do this. And God is saying, man, there's freedom. There's freedom for you to walk in my ways, but you need these things. And so here's what he says. He's inviting them is if you are praying, living a life of prayer, that is not just going to God in prayer when you need something, but it's so much more than that. He says, I want you to listen and extend your ear towards inside. That means I'm not just going to extend my mouth, but what am I extending? My ear. I'm attentive towards heaven. I'm, I'm attentive to the word of God. Here's some ways to do this. We pray to understand God's word. 
To, we pray to see the kingdom first. We pray to humble ourselves. We pray to be slow to anger and quick to listen. We pray to love the truth over deceit and error. We pray to be a peacemaking community that addresses conflict appropriately. Right? We pray that we would have wisdom, according to James 3, that is not full of bitter selfishness and envy and selfish ambition, but it's seeking the kingdom of God. It's what it's doing. It's pure. We pray that we would be a pure and peaceable and gentle and compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense, because righteousness comes through those who cultivate peace. How often do you pray to be a peacemaker? God, let me be a peacemaker in ways that build up your church and not just, I'm going to do whatever I can to advance my agenda. Like how often, y'all, I'm saying it's so demonic that the devil and satanic, as we talked about spiritual warfare stuff, is hindering the church from putting certain things on display because he's got us thinking God's will is only about our individual agenda. And I just got to find it. And I do it independently. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I've done. So there are things that God will not answer because he's like, I've given it to you, but you're not accessing the mechanisms that I put in place. The word of God, community for wisdom and counsel and prayer. Are you catching this? That's how he's going to teach us to access the mind of Christ to make decisions that are in freedom that are freely going after what God has called us in our lives. He says, because here's the thing. He's given us everything we need, as Hunjo was saying, pertaining to life and godliness. But prayer is the oil that lubricates what God has already given you in Christ to activate. See, prayer softens your heart. Prayer has you loving people that you would never want to love. Prayer has you repenting in areas where you think you're justified. Prayer has you in the place where you're submitting, even when God has a season of discipline, disciplining you, and he's giving you some loving, divine spankings, and you keep running, and gives us, you come to the point where you're like, God, I'm going to receive your discipline, because Hebrews 12 is real, and I surrender, and you know what's best for me. I'm trusting your sovereign will, and I'm going to take these spankings. I'm not going to try to put my hand like my kids do, hey, hey, right, like, let me block it, let me block it. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to receive it, because I need it, because you're a loving father. I trust you in that. So prayer lubricates this. It lubricates this. And I think that's where, like, one, recently Fatima and I had, we, we don't have a whole lot of, like, big disagreements. But the other night, like, it was, like, something just we said of, like, I was processing something and it, like, triggered something in her. And then afterwards, like, she said something and it triggered something in me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what is, what is happening? And praise God for our rules of engagement. We, that's a key thing for marriage counseling. But, um. But we're thinking like, oh, my gosh. And I, I literally, like, y'all, like, I was like, I was so bamboozled. We were so bamboozled because we're like, where did this come from? Like, we chilling? Like, it was kind of crazy night because Zachary was sick and all this kind of stuff. But I went like, where did this come from? And so I knew sometimes this, if I say something, it triggers. Like, she needs a little time, and I need to get up. So I go and just like, all right, let me just do something around the house, right? Let me, let me just get something done. But here's the thing. At that moment, when I was doing stuff around the house, knowing I'm going to come back, in my mind, I am wrestling. In my mind, I'm like, what, like, how could, where did this come from? Like, how could she say this? And why did I say this? And why do we, what, all this kind of stuff. And here's the thing. The only thing that actually primed for that conversation was I just had to keep praying. She just had to keep praying, right? We don't yell at each other, but we're like, what is going on here? Like, so here's the thing, though. Without prayer, I would not be in the posture to sit back down to have the conversation that we did. And that conversation we had surfaced so many things of counseling that we needed in areas of our lives. We had a great breakthrough. And I felt more intimate with my wife because prayer lubricated the word of God that kept checking me when my flesh wanted to do, say something crazy in my mind. The word kept checking me. Right? The council of community, knowing I got dudes that are in my grill, right? Like knowing that I want the best for her, she wants the best for me. That comes from prayer. Here's the thing about this. Oftentimes, it's not so much about the decision you choose, but the process God has you on in preparation for that decision. Does that make sense? 
Like, I know there's a lot here, but I, I want to set the table. We got we to walk through this stuff. Like, God is about helping you make decisions because what he's doing is he's saying, look, I need you all to do these three areas. I need you to start exercising these three areas because when you do, you will begin to realize the first thing that someone says that triggers me, I don't just dip out. I want nothing to do with you. I'm too emotional. Look, we were both hurt. It wasn't, it wasn't like malicious stuff, but we were frustrated. If I let my emotions say I can't, I can't sit back down for like the next day, imagine what that would have done for our marriage. Functionally dysfunctional. So sometimes the thing is like when you're in this, sometimes the thing is not like God, because God is like, are you becoming the person I want you to be? Are you like getting these three things so that we are not dipping out of stuff, but we are engaging with one another in life in such a way where we can endure and not let emotions and hurt and trigger points make decisions for us. But that comes from spending time in God's word. That comes from receiving counsel from one another. And that comes, lastly, from a robust life of prayer. This is all accessible through Jesus. We can't do this on our own. That's why for us, church, we have to depend upon Christ's finished work. He did this perfectly. And we need to dwell in Christ. My son, if you, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores of success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, every good path.